May cites the fact that she attended high school in the 1960s, a.k.a. the height of the civil rights movement, with her activism and the general direction of her life. She is probably best known as the labor organizer who organized the largest Asian American strike in history. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am Chloe Skye. I'm Jupiter F. Stone. And I'm Sarah Gorski. And today I am bringing us a super special episode about a woman named Mei Ying Chen. Have either of you heard of Mei Chen? Mei? No. No. Mm -mm. So she is probably best known as the labor organizer who organized the largest Asian American strike in history. Wow, I love labor organizer stories. Right? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Why were they protesting though? Let's find out, shall we? Okay. Let's do it, go. So uh, that's your little tease. I'm not going to spoil anything else until we get there, which is roughly at the end of my story and my notes. Noted. So she was born in Boston in 1948. Wait, stop. She's Asian. Yes. Born in Boston. Born in Boston. In 1948. Correct. To her parents were refugees and immigrants from China. Why is that so weird to you, Jupiter? Because (laughs) I watched... What's the fucking movie? The Ben Affleck fucking movie in Boston. The town. The town. Good Will Hunting. No, oh. no, I no, not Good Will Hunting. The town. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't have a lot of context about Boston. When I think about Boston, I think about the town, and I'm like, well, they're super racist there. <laughs> That's my feeling. I don't want to be Asian there. I don't want to be black there. I mean, Bostonians are just crazy. It's a vibe. It sure is. Boston. That's where they had that tea party. They got their own language Boston. and shit. Yeah. Boston. accent. Yep. I'm sorry. So how do I just feel like what I'm saying is I, I have, just feel like she doesn't fit in. I am halfway through my first sentence. And I'm saying I, I empathize with her already. Yeah, of course. She is the first person in her family to be born in the United States. Oh. She is named May because May is the Chinese word for America. Oh. Damn. Not because she was born I did born not in know that. I didn't know it either. I found it out looking up America. May Chen. America. Apparently, I guess they just call it May. I mean, and also I feel like May, like I had a friend named like May Ling. So I feel like that's easier as well. Like, like, cause I mean like May, but she spells it M-E-I. Okay. Maybe that's different or maybe that's the more correct spelling. I don't know. Maybe this M-A-Y is, yeah, is the Americanized version. So it is hers is M-A-Y? M-A-Y, yes. So May cites the fact that she attended high school in the 1960s, a.k.a. the height of the civil rights movement, with her activism and the general direction of her life. She wrote, Culturally, socially, and politically, I am a 60s person who attended high school and college during that turbulent decade and became politicized by the massive anti-war civil rights student and women's movements of those times. Yep. Love it. Loving it. Yeah. 
So when she was attending college, she went to Radcliffe College. It exposed her to the first, quote, political Asians, end quote, that she ever met before. And she fell in with them and she started expanding her knowledge base and her activism work. She said this was the first time that she felt really connected to her her culture and community because she's finally being exposed to people who had her life experience and had her experience of racism and probably a lot of the sort of microaggressions. You know, at this time, there's a lot of like prominent anti-black violence and Asians are seen as the quote model minority, which is like, hey, you got a good stereotype. You know, it's like everything's cool. Even though there was still like anti-Asian violence going on in the country, it was like severely downplayed. I was going to say like because post-World War II, there was a ton of like specifically Japanese, but then also were, but also this is the time period like approaching anti-communism, which was China. Right. Mm. But this is, I guess, right before that, right? Well, by the time it's the 60s, it's it's all, it's all prime anti-China, anti-communism. Like, that started in the 50s and just carried through. Yeah. So, the Kent State Massacre. We know the Kent State, that's when the National Guard killed all the student protesters for peace. Yeah. Uh, so, that happened in May of 1970, which also happened to be the month she was going to graduate with her bachelor's degree. Mm. So... Oh. She and the rest of the students at her college, well, not all of them, but 3,000 of them, went to the college football stadium to discuss going on strike and just shutting the school down in protest of what happened. And at her graduation ceremony, almost everyone who graduated wore a black armband or had like a red-fisted strike symbol. And that was just like, Mm. yeah, we're graduating, but also we're protesting. Right. Like we turned this graduation into a protest. Hell yeah. I'm like, I am for that. Definitely. It was like a big deal, too. Those armbands were like so radical. Oh, definitely. People were terrified of them. To do that, to be there in public, like outwardly. Because you know everyone's going to be there. Right, right. Got to watch your kids graduate. After she graduates, she moves to Los Angeles and attends UCLA, studying to become a public school teacher. At this time, because she was going to go into being a school teacher, she wanted to get involved with the local Asian American community, specifically with like young students and young mothers. And so she joins this group called the Little Friends Playgroup, which is a community, uh, a relatively small community, not like super organized or official, of Asian American mothers and their children who get together to discuss the liberation of women from the sole and solitary responsibilities of housekeeping and child rearing. Yes. Yeah, 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 hell yeah. Yes. Ooh. So May, she says when she first became involved, when she was like 22, 23 years old, she went into it with really high and unrealistic expectations. She said, you know, she was filled with that like young person energy. Um, <laughs> she felt like women and mothers, because she... She didn't want to get married. She didn't want to have kids. She was very much of this state like, if you do that, you're in prison. Like, you're stuck. There's no way out. Like, she thought that all these people needed to be saved. And so she kind of went into this group with a savior complex of yeah. like, I'm going to free these moms from, yeah. their, from their chains. That's why the fuck I be there. Right. <laughs> I, I still feel that way today. Don't tell me she changed her mind. Well, I'm going to say that meeting the mothers in the group, Um, most of whom were not actually that much older than her, but were just a little bit older than her. They sort of taught her the error of her judgments. She says, quote, These women were not 60s people, but 
They shared a sense of sisterhood and conviction about women's equality and the Chinese community that paralleled ours. They shouldered a lot more real-world responsibilities and pressures and made time in their busy schedule to help fight for childcare and community needs. They showed me a completely new model of woman who worked, related to husbands, and raised a family. Women with independence and integrity, but who weren't striving for a career or individual fulfillment. Their background reflected struggle, survival, and the step-by-step -step progress contingent upon the collective experience and advancement of their families and their people's status in the USA. They were choosing not to advance unless everyone else did. It made me realize that in order to truly fight for Chinese people's rights, I could no longer see myself as separate from the overall community, as exceptional, or operating above the working people and immigrants. End quote. Wow. Go and learn today. You gonna learn today? Yeah. Damn. No, it's it's powerful. I mean, because of because her only experience before that was like the student protest type stuff, and when you're a student, I think it's just so it's just so different to be oh, able yeah. to go and protest and get arrested and do you know do whatever. But when you do have a family and responsibilities, and I, I see I see the truth of that. Yeah. You know, it, just, it shifts your priorities slightly. I think both are necessary and important, like right. in in the scene, but you know, I not agree. one. Not one is better or worse necessarily than the other, you know? Right. But right. I definitely have that, that thing, you know? It's like, it's like every time, like, and I've come around to it a little bit more as, as I'm like seeing my friend's children actually grow up that I'm like, okay, they're going to do this anyway, right? So it's like, what is my role in this? Like, what can I do with how I've decided to live my life to make sure that those who have children, you know, have what they need, have what they need, right? Because I have the time to do these things because I don't. And I think that like definitely the whole like, yeah, well, if you want, you you know, people got to continue on, right? There does have to be other humans who are taught better and raised better. And yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about being a part of a minority class that is actually a majority in terms of numbers. There's something to be said about changing that mindset because I think when you're a minority, you f you really do believe like, well, if there's only one seat and I get it, fuck everybody else then and fuck what everybody else is doing. Well, that's the lie that is sold to you right. by America. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it sounds like well, she went and found like that that wasn't true because right. she had that experience. You have to put yourself with the people exactly. and, and also just the importance of community yes. and doing things as a community to accomplish as opposed to an individual yeah it's huge so so she she kind of shifts her goals a little bit and she starts working on developing this playgroup into a full-time daycare for working mothers but she runs into some trouble with the LA city government mm -hmm. who repeatedly attempts to shut them down for lacking a quote licensable facility. It's like every time they submit all their papers and do all the shit they're supposed to LA comes back and they're like, Oh, sorry, we can't because of this other random thing we didn't tell you about before. Mm -hmm. LA's Chinatown had thousands of working mothers, but almost zero childcare services. So May wow. summarizes thusly, quote, we told the city child care is our right. And the government responded, child care is the mother's responsibility or worse. If you Orientals can't take care of them, why do you have so many? Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. So that was basically the attitude that was coming at them for trying to set up daycares. Yeah. Well, cause they didn't really, I mean, they're like we don't want those moms to come work. Yeah. What the heck? Stay, stay that means back. You're gonna be able to invent, right, dude? 
I, it's related, but not about this broad, but I'm reading Elizabeth Warren's newest book right now. And one of the things she talks about is how the discrimination against pregnant women mm. in the workplace and how those protections like were not set up until like the late 70s, like 78 and shit. So like women could be fired just for being pregnant and like... There's so much discrimination that happened till like pretty fucking recently. Like that. It's it embarrassing. Insane. It in is a, embarrassing. In a society that doesn't provide you an option otherwise. No birth control, no abortions. But if you have these kids, which is what you should do, because that's what we want you to do and what we're training you to do. But also we're not going to help you, you at all. <laughs> Literally stay home with the kids. What? It's like you don't want me here. It's like you don't even want me to be a part of society. You want me to be so busy that I don't get to like pay attention to how you're fucking up Look, shit. we didn't want you to say it. <laughs> here we are. It sounds like somebody said it. Through the group's persistence, uh, eventually the daycare is permitted to exist legally. And it still exists today. <gasps> um, in L.A.? Yes, in L.A. There's a, there's a branch in Torrance. Um, and they, they've also sort of, they franchised out, so there's additional centers across the, the United States. There's not like a ton of them, but there is more than just the one in LA, and they have expanded beyond just daycare. They also have like preschools. It's, and are they for all children? They are. Oh. Uh, it's. I really like, I went to their website and all the, the children on their like cartoon poster like image yeah. is like one of everything like, there's one of everything we're totally everyone is welcome here mm-hmm. it's really nice I love it. this is how we do do you know where in la were they based were they like did they try to in chinatown uh i yeah. believe yes the first one right yeah yeah i believe so Wow. Yeah, I, I not I can't say 100% accurate, yeah. but I believe so. Because right. there's a lot, like, a lot of the stuff she did was in Chinatown, but also in New York. So I don't know about L.A. New York. So that's later. Spoilers. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, she gets that set up. She officially launches the daycare. Uh, and then she goes on to earn her master's degree from UCLA. And then... Oops, I forgot she was in school. Oh, yeah, she's in school the whole time. While she's doing this and getting to know all the people in the community, trying to figure so out community great. needs. Wow. Yeah, and she's, she has kids too, right? Not yet. Oh, she, she was doing all this before she even had kids? Correct. Yeah, because she, she wanted to be a teacher. She just oh. thought it was so important to... When she went to college was the first time she learned about like the history of American racism. And so she was like, well, I'm going to try to instill this knowledge in my community a lot earlier than college. That's that's way too late. A lot of these kids aren't even going to go to college. Yeah. So mm, yeah. she yeah, was yeah. like, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to get it at least like in high school, maybe even younger. I get that. And that's why she went to the mothers. And that's when she kind of flipped her mind around. Exactly. And then she had 17 kids. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. OK. So she earns her master's. She starts working as a high school teacher as well as an adult education teacher while writing for various publications about her work and the Chinese immigrant experience in America. The publications she was writing for no longer exist. Uh, one of them was called Roots, uh, and it's not any not, of the roots that you heard Not the of. black roots? It's not the black roots. <laughs> okay. So in the mid to late 70s, I didn't get an exact year, she meets a man and they get married and they have two children. Once she has these two children... And she's starting her own little family. She starts missing her family who are back in New York. And so in 1979, the family picks up and moves back to New York City and they move to Chinatown. Oh, all Do right. Do they have daycare? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, if they're, if they're living by her family, probably. <laughs> <laughs> 
1982, this is three years after they moved back to New York, she is working for the Chinese Committee of Local Six, which is a union for hotel and or restaurant and or club and or bar workers. Like that's kind of a broad union, but hey, I like it. Some unions are like that. Some unions are like giant amalgamation. Yeah. 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 While she's there, she learns about the poor working conditions of the Chinatown garment workers. Oh, horrific. Yes. Part of what piques her interest is the fact that the garment worker industry is basically the only industry in the whole city that employs immigrant women. Hmm. So the the workforce is over 80% female. And it's almost entirely, like, Chinese or Asian immigrants. Wow. She learns that employers are actively engaging in pay cuts, requiring workers to work on holidays. If you get injured on the job, which happens very frequently because they're sewing with these super fast machines, there's no workers' comp. You you just have to keep on working. Um, The $3.35 minimum wage is entirely ignored. Women are instead paid per garment. So a lot of them are trying to prioritize working on more difficult garments and work on them as fast as possible to try to get revenue in. But also the more difficult ones are the ones where you're more likely to be injured. It sounds like some like coal mine shit, you know, it's like eventually, you know, that you're not going to come up one day. Or you know that you're going out there to mine and you know it's going to, like, kill you every single day or you're getting hurt and you're just going to do it because you don't have any other option. I mean, kind of. Work days are a minimum of 10 hours, usually. Um, The shops themselves are overcrowded and dangerous. They have poor ventilation that can lead to tuberculosis or other complications from dehydration. They're just... Oh, generally speaking, treated very, very badly. Yeah, well, they're not seen as, like, Americans, right? And it's like... Right. We... And most of them are not citizens, so yeah. they also don't really have a, quote, right to, like, sue. Uh-huh. So... They're also, like, afraid of making noise and, like, getting reported. Exactly. Right? So, like, you can... So they... So the, the people who run those factories like feel entitled to treat them like shit because they know they can't... They won't say anything. Yeah, right? and a lot of the no factories... A lot of the factories are run by, like... Not quite mafia, but like the equivalent of the mafia people. One of the women that May worked with, when she went to report to to her like boss, hey, the the working conditions here are really terrible. He pulled a gun on her, and she she said in her little story about it, she was like, well, I wasn't scared because I figured he wasn't going to do anything, and I figured if I pretended I wasn't scared, he would think I really had some power and he was like don't you know who i am and i was like don't you know who i am (laughs) and she just like stuck to her guns for so long that eventually he was like all right sit down let's at least talk about it wow is he the douche of the week the gun pulling guy he 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 should be yeah unfortunate though that it's like all right i'll sit down and talk to you right exactly yeah i'll I'll always hear why you think the working conditions are bad i think that's very telling i think that's very telling for women out there people just expect you to be meek and fold over and i think it freaks dudes out so much when you actually have the power you don't even have to i mean i keep it I'm not going to talk about that. I mean, I consider myself a strong woman, but if someone like pulled a gun out while I was trying to talk with him about an issue, I feel like I would probably be freaked out. But maybe if you didn't, like, you would survive. Kind of like... Maybe you have so much <laughs> pussy power that you shut that Glock down. I don't I don't know, but that's kind of crazy. Like someone like 
pulling a gun out in the middle of a conversation yeah. is like, yeah. that's like extreme shit. It Absolutely. sure is. Absolutely. And for her to be like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're doing and I'm going to stay here because yeah. of the uh, women out there. Like, right. it's not just me. Right. Exactly. And if you do kill me, one of them is going to fight you. Mm-hmm. She's like ready to be a martyr. Yeah. Come Did she make May. progress in that conversation? Was she like heard? And- well, it was the first time that... They were heard, really. It was the first time anyone actually listened to them. So it didn't, that is the progress. Yeah. It didn't lead anywhere. Like, he wasn't like, I guess we should make some changes. <laughs> like 25 cent raises all around, all right. around. Yeah. He basically was just like, all right, well, we'll I'll see what I can do. And yeah. then it nothing happened. Uh, so May, our, our hero, our broad of the week, springs to action. She helps organize the International Ladies Garment Worker Union strike in June of 1982. Dude, this is what she does. This is It sure is. MO. So, on, and on the day of the strike, a lot of the women who work there are really terrified to participate for fear of, like, what's going to happen to them. So a lot of them are, like, hiding in the bathrooms and the shops that they work in. So May... Mm-hmm. May and these other women are going around to each shop individually and knocking on the bathroom doors and being like, get out here, we're marching. Holy shit. Oh my God, I love it. Wow. So through through all their efforts, the the multiple union organizers and whoever, they eventually rally together over 20,000 workers to march through the streets of Manhattan. Wow. And this is 19? 1982. 1980s. Go off. I know, right? So, as a result of this strike, the garment workers gained time off on holidays, uh, more healthcare benefits for their injuries, protection from wage cuts. Like they, you, you know, you weren't necessarily going to get a raise, but you could not get a pay cut anymore. And then the hiring of bilingual interpreters for better communication between workers and management. Yo, that's what I was going to say about her, like how she's probably like able to get all this shit done, is because she's first generation from her parents. So she's speaking both languages and she's educated. Like, yeah. I still yep. just can't believe this is 1980s. And that I know. they were still being treated so shittily. Yeah. Well, I mean, fuck. I don't know. It's you the can go to time downtown, of Reagan. You can go to downtown LA right now and open a door. Like, open a door and see some shit. It's true. I say that because I've been in downtown LA. I opened a door and saw some shit. Like, while I was working for, like, a... What is it? What are those people? Wardrobe lady one of those hollywood wardrobe i was an oh, assistant yeah. it was a, whew, a yeah, time that wasn't that long ago yeah so i would have to go pick up clothes sometimes and i saw some shit it's still happening yeah undocumented people fucking live and don't get shit Ugh, anyway yeah they're just this just we change where they're from right and they get a decade. little bit better a little bit better a little bit better but right. yeah it's happening right here yeah may later says about all this Quote, the Chinatown community then had more and more small garment factories and the Chinese employers thought they could play on ethnic loyalties to get the workers to turn away from the union. They were very badly mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) So you mean they like put like they put like Chinese men like in charge and tried to get like the men to make the women do what they wanted to do? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, hey, don't you you don't want to like hurt your fellow workers do you right because if you go on strike then everybody hurts right yeah Yeah. because it's probably not going to work and then like you're you're going to get fired and your family and like maybe your friends too because they'll think that they were in on it oh my gosh yeah all that kind of just manipulative bullshit this the stuff that amazon is doing now right and also they're probably i mean it's really hard to understand because if they're like immigrants do they even know and understand what you're saying you know right like that's why they're they're saying we need interpreters because exactly. how long were they fucked and they didn't even realize right 
Uh, as a result of her work on the strike, she gets a job with the union. By 1984, she's working on the group's immigration project, which is the first union-initiated legal advocacy department for immigrant workers. Ooh. And while she's working there, she helps thousands of union members gain U.S. citizenship through a, a wide variety of means. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Thousands. Thousands. Wow. And she ends up, this is like her job for the next really long time. She works with this particular union. She's like, this is my community. I helped do that strike. I helped get, make a little bit of progress. Like, this is going to be my thing now. Uh, in 1989, she begins a full-time position at the Education Project, where she coordinates education programs on labor, anti-U.S. capitalism, English, just speaking English, uh, civics, voter registration, and political action projects. Yo. Yeah. She's awesome. This the broad, yeah. yo. She's like, I'm gonna, you know, my community is missing knowledge in all these areas. I'm just gonna set up all the classes so they can learn all these things. Mm-hmm. She knows what's important. She yeah. is bomb. I love her. Uh, and I could go on and on just listing like all the cool organizations she was a part of and the titles that she held, but it would eat up like another 15 minutes and it's probably best to just, you know, if you're interested, go look her up. She's amazing. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, for real. Unfortunately, after September 11th happens, the garment worker industry is basically shut down in Chinatown. The work is then, basically, from then on, it's just outsourced overseas uh, where the labor can be had for less money and there's no unions. So they just transfer it somewhere else. God Ma- damn it, capitalism. God I know. damn it. I know. So, like, they made all that progress over here and then they're just going to send them back to like probably where a lot of these people are from yep. so that people like them don't get the things that they've been fighting decades and decades for. Exactly. Yep, exactly. <sighs> America. Exactly. So... <laughs> May ends up retiring in 2009, and she is still alive and helping mentor and guide the next generation of activists. Yo, I don't know where she is, but I'm going. Is she in New York still? Yes. Yo, the next generation of activists, hell yeah. Yeah, and she's still, like, writing papers now and then, or, like, almost all of the information that I have on her came from first-person stories and articles that she wrote. I love it. I always get so excited when they're still alive. And they know so when we much. have actual resources and words from them and not just like what other douchebags said about them. Exactly. Right? Colonizers that wish they didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, and she's still like relatively young. What is she's like 73, I think? She could be around for a while. Come through. I hope so. I fucking hope so. I hope Shout so out. too. Get it, May. Um, to wrap up, uh, I, ju- I just pulled this, this quote that I felt like I, I like to pull a quote that feels summarizing. So she wrote, To know and understand me is to learn about one small part of the dynamic and progressive trend among Asian people, sharing experiences, uniting together, standing up and speaking up for dignity, political power, and equality. Yes. Yes, May. So yes, May Chen May. is amazing uh-huh. amazing and, uh, uh-huh. you know there's so many things that she accomplished that i just couldn't cover them all so i just covered what i did but if you want to look more stuff up i f- I, I highly recommend it yeah. and if you come back next week you're going to be able to hear my next episode about the top broads moments of the 2021 olympics in tokyo so come back next week and you're going to hear about some amazing chicks doing amazing 
Also, if you're interested in some broads who are related, some similar broads, I have a list here of nine either labor organizers or <gasps> activists who nice. you might want to know. Can I just say, like, Polly Murray before you say it? Yeah, she was number two. Yay! So love Polly! Polly Murray is one of them. <gasps> Uh, the number one is Lucy Parsons. Yes. Then we have Sadie Tanner Mossel Alexander, mm-hmm. Susan Harjo. Who's that? She That's was the Native the, American, um, the, the, the mascot. Mascots. Sports, yeah. Mascots. sports mascot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Advocate. Uh, Melina Abdullah, who founded Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Ella Jo Baker. Hey. Mm-hmm. Wangari Muta Matai. Yes, yes, yes. The Mary Jesus. McLeod Bethune. Who's that? Yes. Wait, I don't, I don't remember that one. Who's that? No. <laughs> she was just a big labor organizer. Oh, like she worked for okay. almost, I think, I'm pretty sure I did her episode. And I think yeah. almost she everything like I had. found was the like, NAACP. She was like a big, yeah. Yeah. She was oh, like, I, I worked for unions and I helped organize and I helped get people to vote. Like, that was she her just, life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're very similar. Yes. Yeah. And then Dorothy Bolden. Yeah. So that's who we have. Those are our related broads. If you liked this episode, you're probably going to like those episodes too. And uh, come on back next week for another broad you should know. Or you can check out our website for a database of all the broads we've covered so far. That's broadsyoushouldknow.com. If you have a broad that you think we should cover that we haven't, you can submit that on the website or send us an email at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com.